This is the Herb Mendelssohn Story. Episode 1, The Early Years. There was a boy, a very strange enchanted boy. So my earliest recollections of existence is being on Michigan Avenue upstairs, I think over our store, and the very first things I remember is my mother's old mechanical sewing machine that everybody had in those days where they would move it with their feet. This, for those who know him, is unmistakably the voice of Herbert Mendelssohn, Dr. Herbert Mendelssohn, who was born on October 18, 1933, in Detroit. He remembers the milkman coming in the back alleys of the homes with a horse and cart. This is Stephen Mendelssohn, Herb and Phyllis's youngest child. He remembers Henry, and Henry was the window washer. He was a black fellow who would wash the windows in the neighborhood, and he had a bicycle and a long, long ladder that he had a, would attach to a set of wheels, like almost a fire truck would be attached. He put all these American flags on it during the 4th of July, and he has a memory of Henry biking through the neighborhood with his tiny American flags flapping as he would make his way and do the window washing. Then I remember being in the drugstore, with my father wearing, in those days, they wore white coats like barbers wear, tie up high. I was sitting in a white wagon there with my sister in the store, wide-eyed and bushy-tailed. And I remember the fountain that I was always trying to clean with seltzer water to make the stainless steel shine. And the next recollections is me crying because my sister went off to school and I felt like I wanted to be with her. Now, we need to pause for a moment because I don't want you to get the wrong idea. Mother's sewing machine, the window washer with his bicycle and American flags, the drugstore soda fountain. These memories might give those who don't know better a sense that the young Herb Mendelssohn had a sort of idyllic American childhood. But that was simply not the case. I would describe it as a very challenging childhood. You could almost say he was not lucky enough to have a childhood. This is Jeffrey Mendelssohn, Herb and Phyllis's second living son. And he describes his father's childhood as challenging not only because Herb was a boy during the height of the Great Depression. To be sure, the Depression was a factor. But even at a time when many families were struggling... Young Herb had the misfortune to be born into something bordering on abject poverty. His father, Fred, who we'll hear more about later, was a pharmacist whose lack of business acumen was a source of constant financial stress. To make ends meet, Herb's mother, Chaya, would rent out rooms, meaning that the family was often on the move. And so the household, consisting of Herb and his parents, as well as sisters Cyril and Esther Molly, and his brother Sal, was chaotic. I think my father might have lived in up to 16 or 17 houses by the time he was 14. And when I say houses, many of those were cold water flats or four-family flats, attic apartments, basement apartments. It was unstable. So he would live in basements. They had a bank building that they had bought from a closed bank, which I think my grandfather set up as a pharmacy. He would sleep in a bank vault. Basements aren't like they are today. They weren't finished with home theaters. 
They were dank, cold places. Food was sometimes scarce, which led to relying on the goodwill of the local deli. I knew about bologna. My father would send me over to the delicatessen, Lieberman and Pearlman's. He would give me the butt ends of the really good bread and the stuff that you scraped off when, you know, when the knife, the blade, if it didn't cut your finger off, you had, and that was tasty, and he'd give it to my dad, and I'd go and get it for him. In 1937, when Herb was four years old, the family moved to the bank building in the Jewish Dexter at Cortland area of Detroit. And my father struggled and built a store there with my mother working her butt off and never really breaking into success. Until the age of 11, when the family moved once again, Herb slept in what had been the bank's vault. Complete with a tumbler, and it was locked open. In other words, you couldn't lock it. And I, I was always seeing the movies where the guys would listen with a stethoscope and being able to break the combination. Now, again, Herb was born and grew up during the Great Depression, when many working-class families struggled to make ends meet. But there were gradations. The struggles of the Mendelssohn clan at this time went beyond a lack of means. His family, for probably a variety of reasons, wealth, behavior, and the store, were perceived as inferior class in the neighborhood. They were looked down upon. I won't say quite untouchables, but at best they were eccentric. At worst, the children would run from my grandfather. There were different drugstores to choose from. They didn't choose my grandfather's drugstore. Now, why all this was the case requires taking a closer look at Herb's family life. My father came from what was known as Odessa by the Black Sea. My mother came from an area in mid-Russia Polish, which I feel explains everything. She came from a little town called Luninets. From Luninets, there came all kinds of lunatics. And so my family is infested with the fact that they are all from lunatics. Herb's mother was definitely not a lunatic. She did her best to provide for and take care of her family by taking on boarders. Every time we managed to get a house, she'd end up renting out the spaces, so I ended up living in the basement, and I ended up building little things from milk crates, which were wooden then, and uh, desks, which were designed by me that would have a board that would flip out and a support under it. Herb's mother also attended auctions where she would buy large quantities of random stuff. There was a lot of that stuff in our basement, sort of knick-knacky things. This is Diane, Herb and Phyllis's first child. A hundred ribbons, spools of thread, pancake makeup, all kinds of things that she would buy sort of like now we would have mystery boxes or leftovers and I think she was trying to be successful. Herb's mother also taught him the rudiments of plumbing. I learned how to take care of backed up sewers very well with my mother and how she showed me how to use a mop as the sewage would back up into the basement. So I learned to be a plumber. Bottom line, Herb's mother did the best she could under very difficult circumstances. My mother was a, a really good woman. I think there was resentment by a lot of people that she did not interfere with what was going on, but 
I'm well aware that sometimes you just can't do anything about things. Which brings us to Herb's father, Fred. Like his wife, Fred was born in Eastern Europe and came to the United States as a young child. He was, by all accounts, a complicated man and an even more complicated father. Well, to put it real simply, and I have it boiled down to this, my father was Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Mostly he was Dr. Jekyll. Like Dr. Jekyll, Fred Mendelssohn was an intellectual. He wanted to be a scientist, or at the very least, a scientific pharmacist. He wanted to have a drugstore that didn't have a fountain, but only had chemicals. My father did not go to college. He went to Cass Technical High School and got his pharmacy degree right in high school and his license that way. A high-minded person, Fred valued and collected books. Well, my father was a reader. My father collected books like unbelievably books. I had the whole collection of the Wizard of Oz books. Horatio Alger Jr., do you recognize that name? That was my goal in life. I was going to succeed. My father would send me with the little red wagon down to the rich country called Chicago Boulevard, and I would schlep back a wagon full of books. And we had collections of just every unbelievable kind because people's libraries were being closed out, and he would collect. Years later, Fred's book collection would get Herb into a bit of trouble with a fellow orthopedic surgeon named Jim Horvath. Who I didn't realize was or had become a Muslim, and I had a whole bunch of Korans of my father's, and I decided to give him a Koran because I didn't realize, but my father had in that Koran written a lot of things that were anti-Koranish, so... Horvath really gave me the cold shoulder after that. Oh, it was funny. Herb's father was also fascinated by languages and made a point of learning phrases in various foreign tongues. My father encouraged me to play games with languages, speaking to people in the store. So he, you know, capisce Italian, you know, he even learned naughty things. And so I picked up on languages that way. I found the pleasure of people falling over laughing at my comical attempts to say something in their language. Fred also took pains to expose his son to Jewish learning and culture. We were directly across from the Shiva, Beth Yehuda, on Dexter, and my father would take me to all these religious-like places and push my nose into learning, learning, learning. We also had a Farbond folk show that we rented upstairs in our building. And we had, I had exposure to everything from the Arbiter Ring to the every venue from a Dr. Rabbi Lerman at B'nai Moshe on Dexter way out before the present B'nai Moshe because he wanted me to, as a Jew to know my stuff. So far, all of this falls under the Dr. Jekyll side of Fred's character, but there was also a rougher Mr. Hyde side. 
Some of this manifested in relatively benign ways, such as Fred's attraction to wrestling. My father would take me to wrestling matches all the time, all over the place there. There was Burt Ruby and Louis Klein, and these were the Jewish, educated, scientific wrestlers. Burt Ruby had cauliflower ears, and he claimed he used his toes because he never had shoes in the old country in Hungary. Fred was drawn to fisticuffs also because of a pugilistic nature and because learning how to fight was a necessity for Jewish boys at the time. He would pick fights easily. He was always telling us about when he had his newspaper out that he'd have to be prepared to fight the Goyim or the tribes that would descend from the other part of Dexter or wherever he was growing up. Sometimes, though, Fred's attraction to physical violence would take a darker turn and focus on his family. Here's Diane again. I also know that the things that my dad explained once hit that he built a radio, and my grandfather came in and smashed it up. In fact, a smashed-up radio was the least of it. Herb and his siblings endured physical abuse at the hands of his father, and worse. Consequently, at a very young age, Herb made a momentous decision that in many ways came to define his character. I decided right from the beginning and since then for sure, I will not be a victim. I will be a victor. In the early years, my father had the power of me. As he grew older, I was my father's father. I had to take care of him. If I didn't care More than words can say If I didn't care Young Herb's unstable family life and determination to be a victor shaped him in important ways. For one, while still a young boy, he became the protector of his sisters and brother. My dad fiercely protected and defended his sisters and brother. This is David Mendelssohn, Herb and Phyllis's firstborn son. And as Steve notes, Herb became almost like a third parent to his siblings. At a very young age, he had three other siblings who were uh, unsettled and unparented in many ways. And he tried to provide them stability, both financially, emotionally, physical support. As Bob Gittleman remembers, when Herb was a young man, he would track down his younger brother, Saul, who hung out with Bob and often got into trouble. He would look for us. He would drive around, look for us. He would yell. He would grab Saul. He would bow out Saul. So he was definitely a very strong brother and father figure. In many ways, Herb became the man of the house because he had to. And doing so set him on a lifelong course of looking out for his siblings and extended family and really anyone who needed help. Now, the way that Herb provided stability for his siblings was mainly through hard work. As Phyllis recalls, from a very young age, possibly as young as four or five, Herb's father put him to work. He was always working hard. After school, he would work for his parents, and he never really had an easy life. My mom would fill us in a lot on this information, but she always told us from the minute he could walk and talk and work, he was obliged and more than obliged. It was his role to work to support his family. I started working from the very beginning. We had a little red wagon. We'd deliver the pop with it. My sister worked work with us. 
we'd man the store. I would eat up all the potato chips. I still do that. Now, to be clear, Herb didn't spend his days just pulling that little red wagon and eating potato chips. He was basically a laborer, a child laborer, doing much of the dirty work it took to maintain the various buildings the family occupied and rented out. I took out the coal. We had those gates on the ground that lift up, and then you could pull up. And I ran the furnace. I took out the ashes and the clinkers. And because of that, I never smoked. (laughs) You know, when you have that crappy dust of ashes in your throat, you're dumb if you're going to smoke. So I never smoked. Now, if this sounds like drudgery, that's because in many ways it was. But as Herb was to do throughout his life, he turned a situation that might have stunted or even crushed him into an opportunity to learn and to grow. In the course of hauling coal and lugging furniture and fixing whatever needed to be fixed around the store or whichever building the family was living in, Herb discovered an aptitude for and a genuine interest in all things mechanical. He may not have had a bicycle as a boy, but he learned how to fix his friend's bikes. And he really became a sort of amateur plumber. I learned how to do plumbing, nipples and elbows and unions and sweating copper and putting a piece of bread in so the water would stay away while you're melting the soldering so it wouldn't destroy the solder. Little tricks of the trade. As Jeffrey notes, Herb's mother's auction purchases helped feed her son's interest. I think his mother was handy as well. She would go to auctions or bankruptcy sales and pick up things like tools and instruments and devices, and he just would make do with them. But because whatever he had, he had to maintain or fix, he was able to fix everything. And he was always mechanical and good with his hands. I think he spent a lot of time. His his father had a pharmacy, which, though not successful, he, he tried to sustain And I know he would build the shelves and put up the lighting fixtures and do the electrical. One time, according to family lore, Herb's work to fix up the pharmacy got him in trouble with the authorities. There's a classic Mendelssohn story where he had done all the work on his father's pharmacy and an inspector came by to inspect and he wanted to know who had done the work or who had pulled a permit or whatever the proper credential was. And when Herb admitted that he had done the work, the inspector hauled him away to the police station. Where his parents had to come get him. And then they paid somebody who had the credential, perhaps an electrician, to sign off on the work, though this person who they paid never saw it, never did anything, literally was paid and signed a piece of paper. And I believe my dad will tell you that that same inspector came back and kind of rubbed his nose in it and said, see, this is how it has to be done, the proper way, where it wasn't any different than it had been before. Now, young Herb's life wasn't all hard labor and drudgery. For one thing, there was his large extended family, consisting of dozens and dozens of aunts and uncles and cousins, many of whom lived in the neighborhood. I think he would have like Passover seders. And there would be, you know, 40, 45 people in a basement. And that's where they would do those kind of events. So he was close with family. Family was always the center point of my father's life, his existence young and to this day. 
Herb also took refuge in reading, spending much of the little free time he had at the Oakman Branch Library. And he told me he used to run away to the library. It was a safe space, and he would read there. He loved to read. His father was scholarly, and he would tell us that reading books to him was almost a recreational activity, and he would enjoy doing that. Another benefit of doing so much hard work throughout his childhood was that by the time Herb started high school, he had morphed from a scrawny, undernourished kid to a brawny, muscular young man. Remember that? Well, I remember his muscles. He would show me his muscles. This is Herb's cousin, Harold Margolis. That age, he was a muscular guy. If you get in trouble, my cousin Herbie will come after you. <laughs> he, was a, he was a muscular guy. Herb's feats of strength became the stuff of neighborhood legend. One of them was he could rip a phone book in half. And whenever I met people who knew him from the old neighborhood, and that generation didn't leave Michigan to go off to other pastures. They all stayed in Michigan. So there's a large community of people who unfortunately are passing now, but knew him well, and they would all mention, your father's very strong. We used to know he could rip a phone book in half. He loves to tell a story when he was in high school of pulling a street sign or a stop sign out of the ground, and he showed people he could pull it out of the ground. What he didn't tell people is he knew it was kind of loose anyhow, and so that got him a reputation. Herb also gained a reputation as someone you didn't want to mess with. When I was in high school, there were bullies around. I prided myself on being the the good guy versus the bad guy. Butch Kaiserman was his name. And he would bully everybody. And somehow we met for a face-off. So I did beat him, beat him up, whatever. I was Victor. Hail to the victor. And my fame spread throughout the school at that time. Herb's strength and toughness made him a natural for the football team at Central High School, where he played on the offensive line as a right guard. It was sort of an escape for me to get away from my father. I would go play football. And we being Central High School, we were Jews. Consequently, we never won. Actually, they did win. Once, which resulted in Herb's football buddies treating him to a day at the Oakland Schwitz. I'd never been able to enjoy such luxury. I came in, and they had a steam bath, and I steamed myself up like a lobster, and then they had a pool. I'm the kind of guy who doesn't like to jump in feet first because getting down past those testicles was an ordeal, so I chose to dive in hands first. When I got to my armpits, I realized it was going to die because it was an ice-cold pool. My legs looked like a Disney character in reverse, so I survived that stress test, and it was a never-to-be-forgotten event. Herb was good enough to make the varsity team his freshman year, but although he enjoyed playing football and being part of the team, he didn't exactly love the sport. Even at the time, but afterwards for sure, feel it's a stupid, stupid sport. It's a gladiator sport, and there is no wisdom in it. Herb may not have thought much of football, but he did grow very fond of Phyllis, who he began dating around that time. Although they'd known each other as little kids, Phyllis really got to know Herb through a friend who was dating Herb's cousin. He had a cousin, Albert Film, and he was dating Maureen Simon, and we would go with them, whatever they did, because Herbie never had much money. He was handsome, and I was crazy about him from the minute I saw him. Phyllis and her mother were very fond of me, I think, 
They were very fond of Herb, and Herb was very fond of them. So fond, in fact, that he knew, and still knows, exactly how many steps it took to get from his house to Phyllis's house. Well, she lived 172 footsteps away from me. And then my mother-in-law would treat me very well, would cook for me, and was really very fond of me. Herb and Phyllis actually sort of knew each other as little kids. When we were kids, we weren't close. We didn't get introduced. He just lived, I think, a block away. And like any other kid, I looked at him, I knew him. You know, it was, we just were high, and that was it. You know, hi, how are you? Later on, when Herb and Phyllis started dating, Herb was attracted by the warmth of Phyllis's family, including Father Carl and Mother Lillian, who went by Lou, and Phyllis's sister, Marilyn. My father was just the nicest man who ever lived. He didn't have a mean streak in him. He was just decent and nice and a gentleman. And to me, he was gorgeous. I was, you know, he was my ideal man. Phyllis's mother treated Herb almost like one of her own children, feeding him and forging a deep bond that would last a lifetime. Years later, as we'll hear about in future episodes, Herb would repay his mother-in-law's kindness by helping to take care of her in old age. As a boy, he appreciated receiving the attention and care that were too often lacking in his own family. I think that for my father, he was very much touched by the warmth and, frankly, the calories that he received from my grandparents. And that was, I think, part of his affection for my mother was that her family provided some kind of domestic stability, some semblance of what a normal family might be like. Between playing football, dating Phyllis, and working at his father's pharmacy, Herb had little time left for studying, which sometimes resulted in less than stellar grades. But some teachers were willing to be patient. He had a chemistry test that he had to take, apparently, let's say, on a Monday. And he was in no way prepared for it. And he took the test and failed. And I think he needed to pass that test to be able to play sports anyways. The teacher, Mr. Panish, made a deal with Herb. After school, he would help clean up the chemistry lab and then retake the test. He did this like three or four days in a row. And finally, after about three or four times, he finally was able to get enough to get a C. And he passed and he let my dad play football. A few decades later, when Herb and Phyllis moved their family to the Washington Heights neighborhood in Southfield, by total coincidence, they moved into a house right next to none other than Mr. Panish. Now he's an older man, sweet guy. And anything that he ever needed help with, my dad would go help him with. Usually things like the furnace would break, the uh, refrigerator didn't work, something. And he was always very appreciative. One day, he asked my dad to come into his house. Our garages faced each other. My dad goes into the garage with him. He takes him into his house. He goes down the hallway, and there's the staircase. He takes the stairs down to the basement. In the corner of the basement, there is these banker boxes of storage. And he tells my dad, just a second, he pulls out a banker's box. He opens it up, and inside is my dad's high school grade book. And he pulls out my dad's high school grade book, and he takes it, and he says, see where it says a C? He crosses it over. He says, you have an A-plus in my book. He says, I can't change it with the city, but in my book, you have an A-plus. Back in Herb's high school days, though, Cs were more common than As. In fact, from the point of view of teachers and counselors and other authority figures, there was little reason to believe that Herb was destined for success. My mom tells a story to us that she was dating my dad in high school, and a high school counselor had advised her to not date my father, that he would never amount to anything. And I think that was the image of my dad. The people who knew him did not think he would ever amount to anything, given the circumstances he came from. 
Of course, nothing could have been further from the truth. In fact, as we'll hear in upcoming episodes, in many ways it was Herb's rough upbringing that gave him the determination and strength of body and mind he needed to persevere and to build a career and family life that would exceed his wildest expectations. The Herb Mendelssohn Story is a production of Tribal Knowledge Podcasting. The executive producer is Jeremy Shear. The associate producer is Hannah Levine. There was a boy, a very strange enchanted boy. They say he wandered very far, very far over land and sea. A little shy and sad of eyes.